Well, good morning. Welcome again to Jville Prez. My name is Dustin. I get to be the lead pastor here. Hey, thank, thank you, Richard. Uh, we're embarking on a new year, and it's exciting for me because I get to unveil for you today the theme verse for 2022. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to page 1153 in the blue hardback Bibles in the room. If you don't have one of the blue Bibles, hopefully you have your Bible. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's printed word out in front of them. If you're looking for a New Year's goal, you could make it bring your Bible to church on Sundays. It's a wonderful goal to have. Uh, we're going to start actually in verse 11, and then we'll just finish with verse 14 to get the broader context. Uh, so with that in mind, friends, hear the word of the Lord to us. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, I'll start in verse 11, but we're really going to be focusing on verse 14. Uh, hear the words from St. Paul. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated and let's pray together as we look at this beautiful verse about the Trinity. Father, we praise you this new year. Father, we praise you for your love for us. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. And Holy Spirit, we pray that even now that you would be warming our hearts in the fellowship that unites us with you and that unites us with all believers on earth throughout time. Father, what grace that we are born again by faith in your Son. Now, Lord, we pray for this year. Lord, we dedicate it to you. And Lord, we ask that you would do far more abundantly than all that we are asking or thinking. Lord, that we would indeed know you as the God of hope, the God who gives encouragement and endurance, and the God who gives love and peace. In his name we pray, amen. Uh, well, hey, good morning. Well, as Joy just mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, on January 23rd, I'm going to ask you to tune in online at 6 o'clock, and this is for everybody, regardless of your age. And I really want you to focus in on this thing we're doing called Base Camp, where we're going to be looking at sort of where we are going as a congregation. But, uh, you know, I don't want to give anything away, but what I can sort of share with you today is the theme verse for this year is 2 Corinthians 13, 14. And you've probably heard me and Pastor Richard share this before. Uh, you know, if you remember back when maybe when Pastor Richard gives the benediction in Welsh, can you remember uh, what it sounds like? Does anybody know how to repeat it? Sorry, we're not, we, we, we don't speak in tongues at our church, really sorry if you don't know that about us. We're not one of those churches. Uh, well, unless Pastor Richard does. But uh, when he gives that benediction in Welsh, if you've ever heard him say it, you're going to be hearing it probably a lot throughout this year uh, in English and Welsh because that verse that he's quoting in Welsh is actually 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It's one of my favorite verses, and if you look at it, uh, it's going to be not just the theme verse for this year, but actually the focus for our uh, time together this morning. So look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Look at it in your lap there. Uh, it's a beautiful Trinitarian verse. Uh, Paul has the boldness to give this blessing over the church in Corinth, and, it, and it's a bold prayer if you know anything about the church of Corinth. He says in verse 14, he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, but if this was the Southern English Standard Version, that would say, May the grace and the love and the fellowship be with y'all, right? Yeah, and that's an important you all because, uh, you know, there is a reference here that 
Paul is speaking this to everybody in Corinth. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of giving away the whole book of 2 Corinthians, but I don't know if, you, if you've ever tried to read the Bible or come across the letters of St. Paul. Sometimes Paul's letters can be the most difficult books of the Bible. I mean, even Peter can say it's kind of hard to understand Paul sometimes. I mean, if you've ever read Paul and he says, do you not know? Almost always the answer you're going to be thinking of is no, I don't know. He'll say things like, do you not know you are going to judge angels? And I think, no, I did not know that. That was not on my purview. Uh, so Paul can be very difficult. And even after you know, going to seminary and studying the Bible and reading the letters of Paul over and over again, they've always sort of been an enigma to me uh, until a few years ago when I uh, preached and taught through and studied 2 Corinthians. And the beautiful thing about 2 Corinthians is it's like a key, you know? And it opens up to me who Paul is. And if you've ever been like me and struggled to understand Paul and to sort of get why he can be a little different than Jesus sometimes, I think, uh, or at least it seems like he can be a different personality than Jesus. Uh, I think if you read 2 Corinthians, you'll find that 2 Corinthians opens up who St. Paul really is. And it's a wonderful uh, book. I mean, you could read it this afternoon if you wanted. Uh, but really, 2 Corinthians is Paul at his most honest uh, it's Paul when he opens up his heart, and he is uh, open in a way that only sheer exhaustion can make somebody. You know when you're just like totally exhausted, and you take off all of like the normal, you know, protocols and the mask, and you're just like, this is who I am. I just need you to hear how exhausted and tired I am. Don't you hear my heart for you, though? Well, that's very much how Paul is writing the letter, his second letter to the Corinthians, Second Corinthians. And what he wants them to do is, is profound if you read this letter, but he ends it with this bold blessing about grace and love and fellowship. And that may seem really trite, uh, you know, this idea, all those Bible words, you know, sometimes they all seem to blend together, right? Grace, love, fellowship, sanctification, but those aren't all the same things, and they mean something utterly profound. So let's see if, if I could place you maybe in the situation of life that St. Paul is in. And you tell me if you think you could be extending grace to people that, like Paul is. So if you know anything about the church in Corinth, if you read 1 Corinthians, what kind of things are going on in this church? You know, if you ever think our church is messed up, man, just read 1 Corinthians and you're like, ah, okay, it could be worse. <laughs> well, if you read 1 Corinthians, you'll know that Paul plants the church in Corinth. He's the first church planter in this mega city of Corinth, right? The church thrived not in small rural settings. The church originally thrived in the large cities. And one of those large cities was a little town called Rome, right? And it thrived in little towns called Corinth. But of course, those aren't little towns. I'm being facetious. Those are huge towns. Christianity started off as an urban religion, not a rural religion. And Paul goes to this incredibly urban area, Corinth, it has all kind of different uh, morals, even sexual morals that most people in the rural world would have had. And Paul goes and he plants in the city of Corinth. But if you read 1 Corinthians, even after he plants the church, he's there for 18 months, he goes off to plant another church. And he finds out, if you read 1 Corinthians, what's going on in his little church plant? Well, if you read 1 Corinthians, they are divided. Some of them say, well, I follow Paul. And then other people say, well, I follow Apollos. And then there's some really spiritual people that are like, well, I follow Jesus. <laughs> and Paul says, knock it off. You all follow Christ. 
Uh, then in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, I've even heard that there's a story of a man sleeping with his stepmother in the church and nobody's addressed it. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says you need to deal with the sin. He goes on in chapter 6, and Christians are bringing each other to court and they're suing each other. Uh, people are struggling to know whether they should eat meat sacrificed to idols. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, when they desecrate communion, people are getting drunk. And Paul says, this is why some of you are dying. So like I said, if you think your church or our church is struggling or it's less than appealing, well, just read 1 Corinthians and you'll really start to see, man, the church is made up of people. (laughs) Even the early church was made up of people who really struggled. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians and he says, shape up, repent, trust in Christ. But of course, if you, if you know that story, you'll know that they don't really respond well. And so Paul goes and he visits the Corinthian church in person and he tells them to shape up. And finally, they start to, to change their ways. And so Paul writes the book of 2 Corinthians. And so when Paul is talking to people who are, you know, sinning in huge ways, when he says, may the grace of Jesus transform you, <laughs> He doesn't just mean that as a throwaway sort of hallmark card. You know, he's not writing one of those little, like, cheap knockoff letters at the holiday season. In fact, you know, to to press it in even more, if you look in 2 Corinthians, what we find in 2 Corinthians is actually the people of Corinth have decided that Paul isn't a very good preacher. And so what they do to Paul is they say, well, you know, next time you come back, can you please bring some like letters of credentials, some letters of commendation to let us know if you're actually an apostle. And so, you know what Paul says? Oh, you want to know what my letter of commendation is? You know what my proof is that I'm an apostle? You are my proof. I've led you to Christ. And in 1 Corinthians, he has to address that they don't think he's a very good preacher. (laughs) In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, 10, he says, you know, these people say of me, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. So he has people saying that his preaching is bad. And then, of course, they're saying, we need some more letters of recommendation. We're not really sure. We've heard that there are super apostles, and why aren't you one of those? So all that to say, you know, I, I don't expect you to you know, necessarily memorize all that, but I guess what I want you to do is I want you to place yourself in Paul's shoes or sandals for just a second. And you have a group of people that you pray for every day of your life, and you love them. And then, as Paul says, he is willing to be beaten for their sake, to be persecuted for their sake. He works double because he doesn't get paid by the Corinthians. He never takes a dime from any of these people. He's a tent maker in Corinth. And then their response to him is to utterly disrespect him. You know, somebody famously once said, respect is like oxygen. As long as it's in the room, you don't think about it. But as soon as it's gone, it's the only thing you're thinking about. So when you and I are are disrespected or somebody disrespects you, right? Do you know what that that sense of just anger that can come out is when somebody disrespects us? I mean, that, that just human nature anger, right? How do you respond to that? Paul is not just being um, sort of ignored. He's being disrespected by this group of people that he loves. And what's Paul's response? He says, may grace 
be upon you. May the grace of Jesus Christ transform you. And may God's love be more and more real to you. And then he even says to them, he says, my heart is wide open to you. I need you to open wide your hearts to me. So as we think about Paul speaking to the Corinthians like this, you know, this is so challenging to me and probably to you, isn't it? Because when you and I are disrespected or we're angered by somebody and, you know, there's a lot of reasons to be angry right now at a lot of people and to hold grudges. Uh, You know, do you think Paul would have been, you know, justified to hold some grudges against these people? Well, he doesn't hold a grudge against them. So how is it possible then that Paul is able to speak like this, to, to boldly pronounce, may God give you more and more grace? Well, of course, this all stems back to the testimony of Paul. And if you are a Christian, you have a testimony. You have a great story of grace. There are no boring testimonies. You know, I want to, you know... I don't want to slap you, but I want to, you know, ask you to step back. You think you have a boring testimony. You and I, you as a sinner, were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ through no good work of your own, out of the sheer love of God. And God's Holy Spirit dwells within you, makes you new and your desires new, so that you can be the hands and the feet of Jesus to the needy and the poor and the hurting. And you think that's boring? (laughs) You think the new birth is boring? Every believer has a testimony to share. And the beautiful thing is every believer has people that they uniquely are meant to share that testimony to. I mean, you think, you know, anybody remember, um, you, you know, remember that time you went back to Alabama with me and you shared the gospel, you know, with my cousin of your testimony? You remember that? No. You know why? Because you're not called to do that. And you don't have the opportunity to. I have unique family members, friends, neighbors that I can share my testimony with that only I know of. And the same is true for you, believer. There are no boring testimonies. The question is, is is your testimony true? Have you genuinely come to faith? Have you been genuinely reborn? And the test of that is, do you know grace? Do you have grace? Even when people disrespect you, even when you feel like people are gossiping about you. I mean, Paul, they say, they think Paul's preaching is bad. You know, they're making fun of him. He, it's so apparent that he even has to address it publicly. You know, they want letters of recommendation, and yet Paul can say, may God's grace be more real. My heart is open to you. How can Paul do that? It's because Christ has forgiven Paul. You know, if you know Paul's testimony... You know, Paul persecuted Christians and then famously at the stoning of Stephen, the first deacon. Sorry, deacons, this is in the realm of possibility for you. (laughs) Stephen, the first deacon, was stoned. And as he was dying, you can read about this in the book of Acts. What does Stephen say? Deacons, I hope you know this. What does he say? He sees Jesus seated at the right hand. He's given a vision of heaven. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And who is he echoing? Jesus. And who is present while he dies with the rocks hitting him and killing him? Paul's there, holding the cloaks, approving and smiling at what they do to him. But because Jesus wanted to prove that he has come to be the Savior of all men, he chooses Paul, and he reveals himself to him. And Paul knows that even though he was complicit in murder, 
Christ has forgiven him. So for the rest of his life, Paul keeps his testimony close to his heart and on his lips so that even at the end of his life, he can say, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, the perfect patience of God might be displayed to those who would believe in him for eternal life. So when Paul talks about grace, he's talking about a life-transforming, ongoing experience of God's forgiveness and love. And it really does change the way that he treats people. So that even when they're angry and they're mad at people and they feel disrespected and all the oxygen's gone out of the air, he's able to tap into something deeper than his own power. He's able to tap into the grace of Jesus Christ. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Secondly, Paul focuses on the love of God. And again, this may sound trite to us, but I suggested a couple weeks ago, if you remember, that it will take you the rest of your life to understand what it means to call on God as Father. You know, I've, I found it true in my own life and true in a lot of other Christians' lives that it's easy to tell people that God loves you, but it's very hard to say and to genuinely believe that God loves me. But one of the most profound ways that a Christian can develop the love of God and to more understand that, I think, is simply to be praying things like the Lord's Prayer and to be referring to God as Father. And notice, of course, the Trinitarian nature of 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God. And that certainly means God the Father. And then the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. But for us as believers, you know, it may be difficult to think about God loving me particularly. But the way that we develop that, right, the way that we sort of spark the flame that builds the beautiful, you know, fire of the love of God in us is we refer to God as Father. I mean, anyone here call their dad Father? Anybody say, Father. I remember when we had our, our first child, my dad said, I want to be called Grandfather. That didn't work. He ended up with Bobo. That ended up being his <laughs> granddad's name. Uh, we can blame that on our oldest child. He said, call me grandfather, and she goes, Bobo. And that's what <laughs> stuck. So there's a sense sometimes, I guess, that we could say father carries a certain sense of formality to it, which would be appropriate as we encounter the holy God. But to focus on the formality of the word father is to focus, I think, on the wrong part. Because at a profound level, it's a familial, intimate relationship with God. You know, the, the change in my prayer life uh, over the last few weeks has been shifting from just praying, you know, words to trying to just meditate in the presence of God and not say anything, but just to sit and be in the presence of my Father. You know, I think it'll take us the rest of our lives to understand the love of the Father. But of course, we know this is the gospel, right? Is to know God's love and to grow in it. Um, and who is it that if we receive the love of God, who is it that we're called to love in return? I mean, that's sort of the beautiful thing about this, this verse is because in the grammar, it's the love of God, which could mean God's love for us. Or it could be that the love of God that we extend to other people, right? It's the love of God that we show other people. 
And as a Christian, we know, well, of course, it's both of those things, right? Because loved people love people. And Jesus himself teaches us what it means to love people. And, you know, this is on a Sermon on the Mount, but it's interesting. Who does Jesus call to love? Anybody want to have a guess? Who does Jesus call us to love? Well, Matthew 5, he says, you've heard it say that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven so that you can be like your dad, so that you can be like God the Father. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the mobsters do that? Excuse me. Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anyone else? Do not even the Gentiles do the same thing? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, as I've you know, thought for several months now what the theme verse of 2022 is going to be, um, I kept coming back to 2 Corinthians 13, 14, uh, because more than anything, um, you know, I know base camp is going to be exciting, and I, want, I do want you to tune in, and we've got some really cool things that are going to happen. Uh, really, more than anything, what I want, if I, if I could have anything happen, what I'm going to be praying for you constantly to experience this in this year um, is not just the, the to-do list. It's that this verse would be real in your life, that you would know grace, that you would know the love of God. Um, I can't make you know that. Um, you cultivate that by time with your Father, referring to Him as Father, and reminding yourself that Christ came because it was the Father's plan. You know, when we think about the love of the Father, sometimes we struggle because we think, well, Jesus loves me. You know, that's what we tell children, Jesus loves me. But we should also be teaching them, the Father loves me. And, you know, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians in this letter. He says, you know, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he has died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who raised them from the dead. But he goes on, and he's talking about the, the love of Christ, and we can forget about the love of the Father. And as he concludes this sort of passage about the gospel, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.18, he says, all of this, all of this, the gospel, the renewal, all of this is from God the Father. You know, think about 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has for us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Friend, may that be true for you. Lastly, he talks about the fellowship, the koinonia in Greek. Anybody ever heard the phrase koinonia? It used to be called a name like a coffee shop, koinonia. The fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Well, what is, you know, koinonia in Greek? What is fellowship? Well, fellowship is not just sort of friendship. Uh, the problem with, you know, when we ever, we, we try to translate some of these deep words, we just don't ever translate them full enough, right? So the word fellowship means not just community with, with people and with other believers. It also means like a family tie so that we're bearing each other's burdens, so that we're deeply loving people. You know, so, you know, just think about it as deep fellowship. And, uh, you know, 
it would make you uncomfortable if you were in the early church. Because you know how they expressed this deep fellowship? Anybody know? I actually just read it to you earlier. So um, I think I've told you this story before. Years ago, for the sake of the gospel, and because I was a youth pastor, I had to take like 20 teenagers to Costa Rica, and it was miserable. Well, it wasn't all miserable. There was one miserable moment every day in Costa Rica. I had a lovely house, uh, you know, where we got to stay with this beautiful woman named Maria, and she was a lovely woman, and I love Maria. We're, she's friends with my wife on Facebook. But in Costa Rica, in a different cultural context, every morning, what did I have to do before I even brushed my teeth? Anybody know? Anybody, anyone in Costa Rica? This is, what it, this is what it means to be like taking up your cross daily, okay? <laughs> you know what I had to do? Before I was even able to brush my teeth, I had to go to the matriarch of the house and kiss her on both cheeks while she kissed me on mine. And y'all, I just couldn't, okay? I just couldn't. It was so hard. It, it pushed me so far out of my comfort zone, right? And do you know what I would do? I would literally like creep to the bathroom to brush my teeth. And then I would try to give her the kiss. It was very hard. But what's the point of that? I mean, that's a beautiful cultural uh, practice. You know, I, I want to be like a, a warm weather climate kind of person that would do that. I think it's a beautiful tradition. But for the early Christians, they would also do something to demonstrate physically their fellowship with one another. And it's right there in verse 12. This is a practice unique among early Christians. We don't have any parallel to this either in Judaism or any other religion at the time. But these Greeks, these Romans, these Jewish believers, they would all come and they would greet each other with a holy kiss. You know, so. And, and you think when we tell people to stand up and greet your neighbor on Sunday that it's really hard, you know? Every time, you remember back in the day, the pre-COVID days, when we like, everyone rise and greet your neighbor, and people are like, oh, no, I've got to shake somebody's hand. And, you know, some people come from traditions where you say, the Lord be with you. And also with you, you know, I mean, imagine if I was like turn and kiss each other right now. <laughs> How hard would that be? Well, the reason they do that, of course, in this culture is in their culture, this was an appropriate sign of that deep fellowship. But for us, what does it mean today to demonstrate our deep fellowship? What does it mean for you and I to live into that koinonia, that fellowship? Well, I'm not going to ask you to kiss each other for obvious reasons, not because of COVID, but because kissing people is weird, <laughs> as experienced by my testimony in Costa Rica. But I think when it comes to koinonia, I mean, in the fellowship, I want you to have time to commune with the Spirit. And that comes to us in our daily time with the Lord. But in communing with each other, I, I really would love for everyone in our church to be a part of a discipleship group, uh, to join a Bible study, to be in some sort of smaller group of people where you share each other's burdens, you share meals with each other, and you pray. And if you're unwilling to do that, um, I understand that. But how else are you going to experience koinonia unless, unless you let other people know who you are? I mean, I'm open to other suggestions. If you have other ways to experience fellowship with believers, uh, there are other ways, but this is certainly an easy way to take a next step. 
you know, other men's Bible studies or a woman's Bible study or a discipleship group that you would be willing to engage in so that you can experience that koinonia, that fellowship. Well, if you want to know about the discipleship groups, we have some of the Bible studies already announced, but teaser, we're going to release the names and the times of the discipleship groups on January 23rd at base camp. So maybe this is the time to be praying with your spouse or your family or just yourself and just say, Lord, is there a group for me? And is this something that you would have? And if it's not, that's okay. But what I want for you is I want you to experience koinonia, and I think a small group is a way to experience that. But of course, the fellowship of the Spirit isn't uh, just seen in in small groups, right? Because today we have another opportunity to commune with God and beautifully with each other, and it's the communion table. And this is what the early church would do. They would devote themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the prayers and to the breaking of bread. And so as we come to the communion table, I want to remind you that when we commune with the Lord, the way that the church has always understood communion is that it's not just communing with me and Jesus. It's actually me communing and experiencing the grace of Jesus as I remember that his body and blood was shed for me. It's an experience of the love of God because he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And now, by faith in Jesus, I become the son of my father in heaven. And it's also an opportunity to experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Because whether you are young or old, male or female, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, We all come to the table, and we are all indwelled with the same Holy Spirit. And that's the beautiful thing about becoming a Christian, is you're brought into the family of God. And you have siblings that do not look or act or sound like you. But what unites us is not that we all think the same or talk the same, or we all share the same neighborhood or even the same ethnicity. What we share is the indwelling of the Spirit. And so when we take communion, that's what we're testifying to. So let me just sort of recap. Look at verse 11. Do you know what uh, what it may look like for you to experience grace, to grow in grace? It could look like rejoicing that Christ has saved you. Uh, Maybe there are people who have disrespected you or people that you're angry with. If you want to experience grace, what does Paul say in verse 11? aim for restoration with them. An expression of grace would be to comfort one another, to agree with one another, and to live in peace. That's a grace-centered community, isn't it? What does it mean to know the love of the Father? Well, it means to know that the God of love is with you, even now. And what does it mean to experience the fellowship? It means to greet each other with a holy kiss. (laughs) Well, not specifically, I guess, right? But how are you going to experience that deep kind of fellowship that may just push you out of your comfort zone? And then in verse 13, Paul wants to remind us that part of the fellowship is not just communing with God, but with all the saints, all of God's people. Friends, may the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray not for ourselves right now, but for one another.
Lord, we pray that our brothers and sisters now would know your grace and forgiveness. Lord, we pray that they would aim for restoration, that they would live in peace. Father, we pray that our brothers and sisters right now would know in a profound way the love of the Father. And Holy Spirit, we now pray for our brothers and sisters that they would commune with you and with each other. Lord, that our church would be marked by the power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In whose name we pray, amen.